so normally we start episodes with like an intro read and stuff, but I'm not going to do that this time. Oh? Because instead, I'm going to tell you, Mark, right now, how you, Mark Steinbrenner, can transform yourself into a werewolf. Is this like a bad sales pitch? No. It feels like we have a sponsor and you're about to tell them. Like, no, no, no. This is from Pinterest. Oh. And it says, werewolf spell tested really works. All right. Let's go for it. So it's from Howling Virginia on YouTube. Um, the video says, wait for a full moon, obviously. Has to be a full moon. Oh, so we, we just, just missed it. Missed it. Uh. But once there's the next full moon, you write down this spell. And the spell goes. By the light of the moon and our piercing howls, we are further transformed into cunning beasts. From the circle of life to the evolution of man, I shall be reawakened as one with the land. And then you have to go outside, stare at the moon, and say that ten times without messing up. And then you'll turn into a werewolf. That's kind of a lot. Ten times without messing up. You got to practice. So did I'm not telling. Were there no werewolves then until the English language? Does this only work in English? I mean, I guess not. Or this is just an English version of an ancient spell. Oh, that they that they future proof to work in English. Yeah. So it doesn't. No, they had they had it planned out the whole time. That's that's weird. I don't know why you're looking for flaws in logic. (laughs) (laughs) It's the ten times that got me. Yeah. Well. Can't, Nine times? No. You can't just do it once. It's got to be more powerful than that. That's true. That's true. And you are dedicated if you do it that many times. <laughs> that is for sure. Oh, man. Speaking of dedication, welcome to the Gems of History podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and I'm not joined by Evan Roosh today. I'm joined by Mark Steinbrenner. I'm back. I'm back for another episode. Excited to be here. Yes. And you're back for whatever reason. Every time I have you on, it's always spooky topics. So, And it's like I know. It's like Evan knows. <laughs> he doesn't like it, but I love no, it. No, actually, it was because oh. I got sick this week, and I just couldn't oh. record until later in the week, and sure. Evan wasn't available. Yeah. But yeah, Mark, thank you for filling in today. Oh, of course. If you didn't get it from the werewolf spell that I just read to you, we're going to be talking about werewolves today. And I would like this to be like a listener interactive thing where they all try it too, and maybe just one of us will become a werewolf. Or all of us will. Well, then we'll have people to hang Can out with. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, I'd rather, I don't want to be it alone. I don't want to be the only werewolf. We could have our own werewolf pack. Wow. And like, like have some sort of weird love triangle with one of them and like make a Twilight movie? Mm, I don't know about that. Oh, okay. I mean, All we right. can fight the vampires though. That is the whole point. So I don't, I don't really get the, whole, the Twilight version because like, those are just wolves. Oh, Whereas yeah. I feel like a werewolf is like a standing hairy like a man. human person. Yeah. Well, yeah. That that's well we'll get into all that too. <laughs> <Okay. So, laughs> but yeah, uh werewolves are an interesting one. It's uh I didn't realize how long the myth about werewolves has been around and researching this, it's kind of like one of the oldest creatures as far as like creature features. Okay, so it's so one like of the werewolves, like one vampires. Of the old, yeah, one of the oldest. It's like one of the oldest okay. ones okay. for sure. Uh for before we get into the topic itself, I want to make a mention of the main source that I use for this is called The Book of Werewolves being an account of a terrible superstition by Sabine Baring Gold and it was written in 1865 so it's kind of hard to read because he uses a lot of like proto old English. Wow, did you enjoy with. going through that? It was pretty fun. It's 
pretty much just recountings of werewolf stories okay. from like certain time periods. Once but, you got going, you probably got a feel for it and you're fine. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't really lay out things in a very organized manner. It just goes straight from one to the next without transitioning at all. Okay. So it's kind of, you kind of get lost. You're like, am I still on the last story? Or am I on the Wait, how, story? how long were the stories usually? I, some of them are like a paragraph long, and oh, then they just wow. move on. And they were just accounts of werewolf interactions? Yeah, or? it'll just yeah. be like, this one person tells of yeah. this guy in this place. My but. favorite one is the one where Jerry Seinfeld... Oh, that's the a... best. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer, for some inexplicable reason, drives a bus. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. And I love he's like itching his chest <laughs> and ripping it open. Oh, uh, it's so good. Uh, I guess, do you want to just hop right in? Yeah. you want to transform oh, yeah. right into let's, this topic? Let's, let's, well, I was going to say raw dog it. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so werewolves are now, nowadays, pretty much a staple in horror, but as with everything, it has its roots in a sort of reality. So from antiquity to the modern day, people have told stories of men and women who have changed into beasts. So this represents the manifestation of like human instinct to revert back to savage nature, kind of that sort of thing. Yeah. And the image of the man-wolf predates most other mythical monsters, like I mentioned, like the vampire or like zombies, things like that. But even though we have a lot of records for people who are tried as werewolves in real life, as well as mentions of the creatures from different folklores across Europe and across America... We don't really have a specific source point for the legend, kind of like for vampires, we have Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Tepish, who was kind of the inspiration for the Dracula vampire who kills a lot of people and mm. is a monster in real life. Despite that fact, the legend has managed to traverse pretty much the entire world at this point, and nobody really knows where it started. So today, we're going to attempt to give a little insight into the real-life history of where it officially started. Kind of, instead of telling just a bunch of stories from throughout history, kind of like that book did, which we'll tell some of them, uh, I want to kind of focus more on finding out how the legend developed over time and kind of how different variations from different cultures popped up and all that fun stuff. All right. So we're going to do it that way instead. Do you like werewolves and horror stuff? Oh, I would say more yes than no. I actually do think that. Do you, are you from like kind of, do you watch a lot of stuff with werewolves? Are you kind of familiar with like any of the lore around them or no? Not really with the lore, but, uh, there were like, obviously werewolves in harry potter and i really like that stuff so that's like from a fun standpoint i'd say that's where i mostly interacted with it but then also i mean scooby-doo i mean come on that's a staple for them scooby-doo has like every type of monster every other person's a a werewolf no No, but i'll be interested to hear one thing i'm curious to hear what you say is if uh it's supposedly true that werewolves are mostly made by uh, being bitten by other werewolves and then if that's the case who who is patient zero so i guess i can answer that right away because i don't don't really get into it specifically but that was actually kind of an invention of hollywood almost it it didn't really come around until hollywood and i think they kind of stole it from the vampire because the werewolf eventually does kind of get linked to the vampire Uh in some sort of way okay so then they kind of just took that and ran with it and said like hey if it bites you you're a werewolf too they had to continue the trend you Uh know so that wasn't really as far as like the stories that i could find from historical accounts that 
didn't really transfer. But and then what are the chances that werewolves are actually Bigfoots, or Bigfoots could, are werewolves? Could it be? <laughs> that could be. I did. Oh, or are they co- coexisting uh, I, peacefully? I did watch a really old episode of Monster Quest. I don't know if you ever watched that no, show. It was on so. the History Channel and like the late 2000s was that where they had the professional bigfoot callers oh yeah that's that's the show that had that (laughs) yeah but they actually they come to wisconsin because we have something known as the beast of bray road in wisconsin okay i've heard of that yeah which is supposedly like a werewolf type creature and there's a whole book that this woman wrote dedicated just to the beast of bray road and stuff and i actually personally was involved with someone who said that they saw that okay whether they'll still say that to this day or not i don't know but I was with someone. They said they saw it when we were driving down the road. It's supposed to be on. Okay. Excuse me. And like, as we were leaving that road, they made me get like, stop the car and they got out and threw up on the side of the road. So like they were spooked. Wow. But I'm not going to say who it was because obviously I don't know if they would want their name attached to that. But (laughs) as far as they said, it was like, you remember in like ancient Egypt, those pictures of oh, yeah. people with the dog heads. Yep, yep, they were yep. like, it looked like that, except the whole body was full of hair instead of just that. That actually sounds worse than I could expect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, so, that would be much more terrifying to me. So, I don't know. It could There could be really be these things out there. Could be. As close as our backyard yeah, somewhere. Yeah, maybe. So, to begin in our historical deep dive, well brief deep dive into the werewolf, we're going to discuss what is believed to be the first reference of a werewolf that dates all the way back to ancient Samaria. So, like I said, very old. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is regarded as one of the earliest works of long-form literature, Gilgamesh rejects the advances of Ishtar, who is the goddess of fertility and love, out of a fear that the goddess would turn him into a wolf, as she had done with previous lovers. Hmm. Okay, I mean, I get it. It doesn't seem like... You would want to go into a relationship with her after hearing that she's done that before. Sounds like it could be wild. It could be. You're taking risks. Yeah, it depends what you're and into. If, if guys do anything, it's they jump in headlong without <laughs> thinking about the risks. So, it's good. Maybe he just wants to be a wolf. Maybe that's the whole, that is, maybe that's the <laughs> whole thing. Plan the whole time. Yeah, it's like it's like people wanting songs written about them by Taylor Swift. You're not going into it because you think it's going to work out. You just want the end. That's result. what Travis Kelsey exactly. Doing. Yeah, he just wants <laughs> yeah. to be in a song. Yeah. But where we truly get the genesis of the word lycanthrope, which is the more scientific name for werewolves or the belief to be a werewolf, is in Greek mythology. So the story goes that Lycaon, who is the king of Arcadia, had the opportunity to host... It's either Jupiter or Zeus, depending on where you read it from, because the Romans and the Greeks both have an account of this. So I'm going to say Jupiter, but he had the uh, this king, Lycaon, hosted Jupiter for a meal. And in an attempt to test the god's omnipotence and try to deceive the god, he planned to prepare the flesh of a hostage and serve it as a dish to Jupiter, and then afterwards would kill Jupiter. So his plan was pretty much to feed Jupiter human flesh to see if he would notice that it wasn't animal. And then kill him anyway? Yep. Seems pretty jacked up. (laughs) Yep. After, er, however, Jupiter discovered the deception pretty easily and burned down Lycan's house and punished him even further by transforming him into a wolf. As long as the king abstained from eating human flesh for nine years, he would then be returned to his human form. So, a nine-year punishment of being a wolf for trying to deceive a god. Why the wolf? I don't know. I don't know why it was a wolf in this case. I mean, if someone was like, I'm going to transform you into an animal of some kind. 
feel like the wolf wouldn't be at the bottom. I think it's because she, uh, Jupiter was like, well, if you want to act like the animals of prey uh, who eat, like, yeah, yeah, eat yeah. the then flesh of people, yeah. then you can yeah, live have, like yeah, them. Yeah. yeah, I think that was the whole kind of okay, philosophy. So one thing to note about that story is that as early as ancient Greece, the form of a man-wolf was also associated with cannibalism. And that's a very common occurrence throughout from ancient sources to medieval sources to even some modern day sources. It's a lot of people eating other people in the form of wolves. And plus they didn't have like really good grooming equipment at the point at the time. So maybe they just naturally pretty long hair. That's they could be <laughs> just, just put it's it just out so there. long that it looks like their whole body is covered <laughs> in fur. <laughs> exactly. That guy's eating somebody. Wait, that's a human. <laughs> yeah, dude. Could be. As the years passed, that trope remained prevalent with more cases than not. And another commonality between the stories is portrayed to us by the Roman author Petronius, who is kind of credited with writing or who is credited with writing the Satyricon, which is one of the most invaluable pieces of literature for kind of studying ancient Roman upper classes and kind of colloquial Latin when Mm. people try and study those kind of old languages. That's one of the main sources they use. But in this book, there is also a tale of a werewolf. So the story goes as follows. A man requests a soldier to accompany him while on the road to Capua and... I think it was to sell clothing or it was either to go meet his girlfriend or something, something along those lines. Okay. But he needed the soldier to come accompany him, accompany him. And along the way, the two men passed a graveyard. So while there, the narrator counts some of the graves, but upon turning back to see what the soldier is up to, he sees quite an odd sight. The soldier had stripped naked and placed his clothes on the roadside, urinated on them, and then turned into a wolf. Wow. Wow. Yep. According to the translation from the Book of Werewolves, which I mentioned was one of my sources, quote, Don't think I'm joking. I would not tell you a lie for the finest fortune in the world. But to continue, after he was turned into a wolf, he set up a howl and made straight for the woods. At first, I did not know whether I was on my head or my heels, but at last going to take up his clothes, I found them turned into stone. The sweat streamed from me, and I never expected to get over it. Melissa began to wonder why I walked so late. Quote, had you come a little sooner, she said, you might at least have lent us a hand, for a wolf broke into the farm and has butchered all our cattle. But though he got off, it was no laughing matter for him, for a servant of ours ran him through with a pike. Hearing this, I could not close an eye, but as soon as it was daylight, I ran home like a peddler that has been eased of his pack. Coming to the place where the clothes had turned to stone, I saw nothing but a pool of blood. And when I got home, I found my soldier lying in bed like an ox in a stall and a surgeon dressing his neck. I saw at once that he was a fellow who could change his skin, and never after could I eat bread with him. No, not if you would have killed me. End quote. This supposed to be a real story? I don't know. <laughs> Why would he go try and pick up the clothes that he just peed on? <laughs> That's what I go check him out. <laughs> I could use some new clothes. Oh, <laughs> he was man. going to see his girlfriend. He was like, I like hey, how he was- peed on his clothes too before he changed into mm-hmm. the wolf. Wow. That was part of the transformation, I guess. I, I guess that's a big part of day. Just so you guys know, after you say that thing 10 times, there's an extra step. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pissing a circle around all your clothes. <laughs> oh, they turn goodness. to stone. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's a very early account of like witnessing a human being 
physically transform into a wolf. Okay. Like, so it's it's already setting like the example. So I, I really don't know if Petronius kind of got the same imagery from those old Greek myths sure. and just used it in his own writing. Yeah. Or if it was just a common kind of story at the time. Huh. But not only do we see that literal transformation into a wolf once again, but we also see the first instance of a werewolf being injured. Because the man, once transformed, doesn't attack humans and instead attacks those cattle, but he's hurt by the farmhands that are working that day. And not only is he hurt as the wolf, but when the narrator goes to check on him later, even his human body is still wounded after yeah. he is transformed back. Yeah. So as you can kind of see as the stories continue to be told, new elements are added and then they slowly kind of transform to become part of the lore of the werewolf. Sure. Now, these ancient stories are both centered around the Mediterranean region, which kind of makes sense because that's where wolves are. And as we'll go along, especially in the Middle Ages, we'll talk a lot about stories that come from like Germany, France, but not really like Britain and places like that because the UK doesn't really have wolves. Mm -hmm. So it just makes sense that that's not a figure yeah. that they would associate with sure. certain things. But in mainland Europe, there are a lot of places that have those in the mountainous regions and stuff. So yeah, they're is a lot of them from the Mediterranean region, which kind of became associated as the lycanthropy capital of the time period. But it doesn't mean that that's the only place that it was passed down through tradition. Because in, Nor in the uh, Norse folklore, werewolves took on various forms in their manifestations as well. Like the ancient stories from Greece or Rome, there are instances in which a human would be physically transformed into a beast. One example of this comes from the wild saga of the Volsungs, in which the main focus of the story is that a father-son duo named Sigmund and Sinfjotli that was well done. Are like they, they're the main focus of the story and they're kind of just like wandering dudes in the forest. Okay. And so the father, wanting to test his son, took him into the forest where they began to slay a bunch of guys to take their stuff. What? Because he wanted to see how good of a warrior his son was. So he's just killing random people? Yep. Burn, burn. Different times. Different times, right. Upon finding that his son was strong and capable, the pair came upon some rich men in a house with wolf skins hanging above their heads. Realizing that these men were not only rich, but also dabbled with witchcraft, Sigmund and Sinfjotli killed the men and took their wolf skins. The skins then transformed the two men into wolves, and they began to travel on all fours. And once they put the wolf skins on, they kind of realized that we can't undo this uh, like at will. And they found that it was going to be like a, I think it was a period of 10 days where they had to wait before they could transform back into humans. So they were uh, kind of stuck as wolves yeah. for a little period of time. They went on then to go slay more men in the forest as wolves and began to test themselves to see how many they could take on at once, with Sinfjotli eventually killing 11 of them on his own before his own father ended up killing him. Wow. It's a very weird story. That is an odd story. And, like, they kind of say, like, hey, let's see how many we can take on by ourselves, but if it gets to seven people, then call for help just in case. And so once he kills 11, then his dad's like, you broke the rules, now I'm going to kill you. Okay. But I don't know why. You know, I did make a ton of sense from the get-go, <laughs> so I'm kind of just like accepting the fact that this dude's dad was messed up too. 
you don't understand a dad taking his son into the woods to kill guys to see how strong he is? Uh, no. Well, it is called the Wild Saga, so I guess it, you just wouldn't understand. It's <laughs> <laughs> an appropriate name. So in that story, once again, the two are literally transformed into wolves by wearing a wolf skin, which is another common trope, kind of putting on the skin of whatever you want to transform into. But the Norse do introduce another aspect of werewolf legends in which a human may transfer their consciousness or their soul into an animal and take control of it for a certain time. So to put this in Game of Thrones terms, kind of what Bran, is that yeah. what he yeah, does? What he's he a wargs. Warg. Yeah. yeah. So he kind of takes over an animal for a short period yeah. of time. That that kind of comes from this Norse tradition. That sounds much more handy. Yeah. Not having to actually transform. <laughs> <He can't, yeah. laughs> So to relate this phenomenon, I'll read another passage from the Book of Werewolves. Quote, In the Vantsdala saga, there is a curious account of three Finns who were shut up in a hut for three nights and ordered by Ingemund, a Norwegian chief, to visit Iceland and inform him of the lie of the country and where he was to settle. Their bodies became rigid and they sent their souls on errand and on their awaking at the end of three days had an accurate depiction of Vattensdal, in which in- Ingemund was eventually to establish himself. But the saga does not relate whether these fins projected their souls into the body of birds or beasts. End quote. Wow. There's a lot of names in there. There's a lot going on. But yeah, it's a pretty much direct accounting of a story which, hey, go kind of scout this land out for me. And yep. so they use their powers, whatever you want to call it, to send their souls out. Different ty- different type of animal transformation, yeah, you want to yeah. call it? Well, okay, yeah. What? No, no, no <laughs> okay. I, I like it, I like it. This type of soul apparition is kind of different than a literal bodily transformation because the person does not use their own body to become an animal, but because they use that animal as a mode of transportation. And it's kind of like a, a safer route, I guess you could say, because I don't think if you die as the animal, you would die in real life yeah but the wolf that wolf's just like i'm I'm tripping dude (laughs) i swear i just blacked out (laughs) but one more instance is related that may be an even more apt explanation to the roots of werewolf narratives in old norse culture especially during the viking era there was a phenomenon known as the berserker i don't know if you've ever heard of the viking berserker before or if you've ever seen like uh, the Northman, the yeah. movie. So kind of like when they're around the fire and kind of getting themselves all hyped, hyped up, up and stuff. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what berserkers okay, were. Okay. They just kind of frenzied themselves. And these warriors would wear wolf skins over what little armor they might wear, most of the time putting the head of the wolf over their own and allowing only their eyes to be visible as human to someone yeah. who they're coming up against. In addition, the culture allowed for these warriors to challenge anyone to single combat, even farmers. <laughs> so if these farmers refused the challenge from a berserker, they would forfeit all of their possessions, including like their wives and kids, to oh the challenger. <laughs> wow. So it's believed that these bands of roaming, of roaming wolf-skinned men may have contributed to the myth of the werewolf seen by the country folk as savage monsters coming to rend their livelihoods and possibly their very life itself asunder okay yeah so you can see why these people like no wonder they were terrified of these of wolves like not even i'm not saying not even the wolves themselves but just these people taking all their stuff and wearing wolf skins and just taking your wife yeah raping their churches burning their women you know tipping everything over exactly 
These berserkers were not just feared by the country folk, though, but by any of their opponents, pretty much. It was said that these men would work themselves into a frenzy through incantations, and once thoroughly crazed, these warriors were said to have superhuman strength and be invulnerable to pain. They couldn't be hurt by fire, and they could only be killed by crushing their skulls with a club. Only that way, huh? That's, or breaking all their bones, that's what it said. But it had to be used, you had to use a club. So, not the most painless, I guess... Skull crushing isn't that painless, but breaking all your bones kind of sounds terrible. I don't get how a sandwich is going to take them out. <sighs> it's like a subway club. <laughs> subway club. All right, yeah. In, uh, in battle, their eyes would glow with a flame, and these berserkers would froth at the mouth, sometimes biting through their shields and yelping and howling like wolves. Mm. So it's just a terrifying yeah, vision. yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, this is almost certainly an exaggeration in some respect, but they they do have attributes that echo those werewolves of lore. Yeah, that superhuman strength, the frenzied attitude, they're both common attributes of the mythical werewolf versus the berserker. But it's the berserker is the one of the first times that it's suggested that werewolves could just be savage humans instead yeah. of being a, like a fairy tale. So monster. interesting. In the book I'm reading, uh, they do the exact same thing for intimidation. They wear like wolf cloaks which book is that um it's called the uh not the king killer chronicles but uh i'll look it up in a sec here guys wearing wolf skins the book no (laughs) it's the best (laughs) they could come up with oh my goodness but yeah oh it's red rising yeah okay but yeah this is kind of like the first time that the human aspect comes into it. And it's said that after these men would finish their rampages, then they would suffer extended bouts of exhaustion and be bedridden yeah. for sometimes days at a time. And that's also something that comes to be associated with people that literally can transform into wolves is that after they're done with their transformation, they have to like lay in bed and they can't they're exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Like they literally can't do anything okay. for like sometimes days at a time. Okay. As you can see, it just kind of all rolls itself into a bigger ball yeah. as time goes yeah. on. So once the 4th century rolls around, and kind of between the 4th and 12th centuries, the mentions of werewolves in popular works of literature just kind of disappear for that extended period of time. For how long? For 4th to 12th century. Oh, okay. Like, there's very scarce mentions of werewolves in any type of major literature, and there's only kind of guesses as to why this is. I mean, part of it is like the Dark Ages happened in there. We lost just a lot of stuff mm-hmm. during a lot of that time. But a lot of the historians who've studied this kind of thing believe that the the phenomenon of werewolves kind of strayed from mainstream literature and like major writings that people were doing and kind of went underground. Okay. And it was just kind of retellings of stories and kind of within closed circles, people were talking about it. Yeah. So it didn't really factor in at at that time period at all. But then once the middle ages rolled around, then we get a lot of werewolf stuff. (laughs) So they kind of took it and revamped it all at once. Yeah. And some people do think too, that maybe the people in the middle ages were just studying old literature and refound a bunch of those old stories and and picked it up and we're like, ah, yeah, let's redo it. Yeah. You know, my cousin's a werewolf. (laughs) Yeah. So once the Middle Ages rolled around, we get a lot more instances, and this time there's even more new capacities to the stories. In areas like Lithuania and Prussia, stories are told of werewolves that are not necessarily simple savage creatures. Mm. Instead, one story of a nobleman tells a different story. 
It goes, while traveling with a retinue of peasants who practiced black magic, a nobleman couldn't find a place for him and his entourage to lodge for the night. Eventually, a peasant offered his house, and if all of them might hold their tongues for what they were about to see, this peasant offered to go get them food in, in the form of a lamb from a distant flock. So, this peasant, before their eyes, goes into the woods, turns himself into a wolf, and attacks a flock of sheep. He then brings that sheep in the form of a wolf to the nobleman and his crew, and then went back into the woods and transforms himself back into a human. So in this instance, it's kind of controllable. The guy uses it for not necessarily nefarious purposes. My question is, since when do you need to be a wolf to catch a sheep? <sighs> I think it's more so that he's like, if I do it this way, I'm not going to get caught. Like, no one's going to see me as a human doing this and then come find me. Oh, like they weren't his sheep? No. Oh, okay. it was just some random farmer. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, he was he was doing it like to someone else's flock. And then also, I would assume in the form of a wolf, you're probably a lot faster. Do you so. think his like his clothing was made of the sheep that he went and got? That'd be cool. Because then you could say he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> Walked right into that one. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. did. Oh man. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of the times, like like I mentioned earlier with the wolf skins, like they did physically put on some sort of skin to yeah. transform a lot of the times. So that is part of it. I don't know if he put on a sheep skin if he just transforms <laughs> into a sheep. Oh my goodness. That would be a true... Like, that would be... And he's got the 10-day rule. <laughs> so he's, he's just a sheep. It's <laughs> too bad tough. he's the one up for slaughter. Uh, oh no! <laughs> that would be terrible. Tough. So this story is one of the few examples of werewolves who like kind of do control their actions and use them for whatever they see fit instead of just being only bloodthirsty monsters. But another instance of this was when a priest who was wandering in the forest came upon a husband and wife who had both been transformed into werewolves, but they could still speak English. So this is another new addition. This guy was tripping on something. <laughs> Probably. Oh, man. After seven years, these hu this husband and wife couple said that they would be turned back into humans if they both still remained alive. But the priest was begged by the husband to administer last rites to his sick werewolf wife. And when the priest went to go visit his werewolf wife, he saw that underneath the fur on her torso, she was indeed an elderly human woman. So this part's kind of weird because it kind of and it echoes the sentiment of the time when religion was the guiding light, kind of, for all uh -huh. examples and explanations of mythological creatures. Sure. And an old paper by an author known as Rainius states, quote, There are too many examples derived not merely from hearsay, but received on indisputable evidence for us to dispute the fact that Satan, if we do not deny that such a being exists, and that he has his work in the children of darkness, holds the lycanthropists in his net in three ways. End quote. So this in the Middle Ages is where it first starts getting tied to maybe the devil did this. Mm -hmm. That's why these people are wolves. Sure. But this is also, as I mentioned, where she kind of pulls up her wolf skin and like you can still see the human skin underneath. That's weird. There's various instances of that kind of thing happening where it's like if you cut their skin, you can see the human flesh underneath. Or if you like burn part of their body, you can see that underneath it's a human body and it's just covered in hair that kind of thing <laughs> all right so this is also this kind of shows that we're trans 
transitioning from like them turning into a literal wolf yeah. to them just being like a, a half man, half a wolf. hybrid, yeah. hybrid. Yeah, yeah. So you're going from the Twilight to the American Werewolf in London. Yeah. So yep. that kind of transition happens here. But that quote that I just read, it says that Satan holds these these people who believe they can be wolves in three ways. And so the paper goes on to list those three ways that Satan influences men as wolves. The first way is by persuading these men to commit acts such as destroying the livestock of anim- like animals, cattle, as wolves, but not physically in the form of a wolf. Instead, Satan afflicts those people by using their human frames in such a state of hallucination that they believe that they are wolves. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's pretty much just giving them major hallucinations like, I'm a wolf now. Uh-huh. I'm going to go do what wolves gotcha, do. But gotcha. they physically are still a human being. Yeah, yeah. So they really they're suffering from some sort of psychosis. Exactly, yeah. 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 The second way that Satan influences these humans is more indirect. It was said that while they sleep, they imagine that they injure a cattle or something similar kind of in their dreams. But while they're doing that, their master, whether it's Satan himself or some other evil entity, commits whatever acts that they're dreaming about that they've imagined or conjured up. And then that actually happens in real life, and then they think they're responsible for it. Okay. The indirect involvement kind of continues into the third example, where Satan uses a pack of actual wolves to commit some act, but the men are so convinced by Satan that the humans committed the act instead of wolves. So he's just a really good talker, crafty I guess. Guy. <laughs> he's a very convincing guy. Yeah. So these sentiments are echoed in various writings throughout the 15th century that discuss witchcraft and kind of make mentions of werewolves who are mentally influenced by the devil to commit these acts while they believe they are wolves. Mm -hmm. So this theory kind of is the first instance where mental illness was to blame for werewolf cases, and it kind of of became surprisingly common for Middle Ages people. Because when you think of the Middle Ages, you don't really think about people talking about mental illness at all. So for them to be saying, no, it's just people being crazy, and I guess it's still attached to religion. So it's still like Satan's the one doing it, but... One perfect example of this comes in the case of a young boy known as John Grenier. According to the stories, John was a 13-year-old boy who wandered the countryside in the south of France. He told of how he had sold himself to the devil and acquired the power to turn into a wolf after dusk. After John was captured, his story was investigated thoroughly, and it was found that he was the son of a poor laborer and had left home three months before he was caught, working through the countryside and begging as he went to kind of keep himself going. During his trial, John himself admitted to signing a deal with a black man who he called the Lord of the Forest. As a part of this deal, John received a wolf skin and a salve, which transformed him into a wolf. So, like a salve or like a balm, mm-hmm. something you rub on your body, which kind of helps initiate the transformation. While in the form of a wolf, John admitted to having attacked and killed a dog, but he much rather liked the flesh of young girls. Yikes, dude. According to his trial, his sa- statements were found to be true at what? How can you possibly back this up? At least the fact that he had attacked and killed several children was corroborated. Oh. Not the werewolf part. Well, that's really just disappointing. Oh. 
Yeah, so going forward, we're going to have a few instances of people committing pretty heinous acts. So going and forward, their best idea was to say, "I'm actually a wolf." That was that their, was what John said. Yeah, he said that he was a wolf. Everyone else was just like, "I don't know," because well, like that was his excuse though for why he did the things he did. Yeah, and Sebastian could come up. Well, with and it. one of the girls that he attacked who survived oh. said, "Like I saw him in the form of a wolf." No so, way. Yeah, I, okay. she, it was like this like teenage farm girl who was like working out in the field mm. and she said yeah this this being who was in the form of a wolf talked to me and he yeah, kind of just sat there and said like i'm gonna get you one of these days oh my that's so weird but yeah just going forward just know we're gonna be talking about a few people who kind of do this kind of thing and we're gonna get into some details about what happens with their victims so mm. it's gonna get a little brutal as we go just right. a forewarning but the explanation as to why john had done this was a little different than he had described it. According to one of those in charge of the trial, John was, quote, so dull and idiotic that children of seven or eight years have usually a large amount of re- larger amount of reason than he, end quote. So they basically just said he's really not smart. Wow. In accordance with the fact that John was a young child, along with not being the brightest bulb in the box, many of his claims of lycanthropy were taken as hallucinations. By the end of the trial, it was decided that although some of those who had survived his attacks described him as a true wolf, it was almost certainly a mental illness in the child that made him believe he was a wolf and act as such. He actually is one of the few that doesn't get killed for this crime and instead gets sent to a parish to like kind of live with nuns or monks or whoever was living there. And seven years later, someone went and visited him and said like, he kind of still acts crazy, like acts like a wolf. He doesn't really talk. He's very shy, but he died at the age of 20. So he he obviously had a lot. He had a rough life. Yeah. But it was pointed out that after the fact, it is still a frightful possibility to believe that there may be people out there who have a morbid craving to eat human flesh and who will commit whatever atrocities they see necessary to satisfy those cravings. It's a frightful prospect, even if he's not a wolf. Yeah. Right. One of the most famous stories in the Middle Ages comes from the 16th century and is a perfect example of a human who had those very same cravings. In the German city of Bedburg, a man named Peter Stump was executed in 1589 after confessing to making a pact with the devil in exchange for the ability to turn into a werewolf. However, the story is a bit more open to interpretation than that. For one, we know relatively little about Peter Stump's life. His name is even up for debate, with some claiming that his name was Stumpf because he had lost his left hand in an accident. So mm. they just called him Peter Stump. Wow. To remind him constantly. Tough. His job was consistently given as farmer, despite the fact that some pamphlets from the time attempted to portray him as a wealthy landowner. But what got him started on his quest for blood is kind of up for debate. According to the stories, evidence was provided that Stump was a quote-unquote insatiable bloodsucker, and he confessed to having fed on the flesh of goats, lambs, and sheep, in addition to men, women, and children. In the more than 25 years that he claimed to be active as a killer, Stump said that he killed and ate 14 children and two pregnant women. Not stopping there, Stump continued to say that he extracted the unborn children from the women's bodies and ate them as well. He also goes on to say that he had a regular incestuous relationship with his daughter, as well as sexual relations with a succubus who was sent to him by the devil. 
In Peter's own words, his quest into the dark lifestyle began at the age of 12 when he was practicing black magic and got a magical belt from the devil, which would turn him into a wolf until he took the belt back off, which would turn him back into a human. <clears throat> Lots going on here. That was a lot to digest. Good pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this dude, uh, I think he needs the hangman's rope. Oh, he gets worse than that. Don't oh. worry. But when the only reason that he was caught was because in one of his hunts as a werewolf, it was said that his left paw was cut off by a farmer. So when Stump was found without his left hand, he was arrested. So now he has no hands? No, he, this is the same hand that like oh. he didn't have, and that's why they called yeah, him Peter gotcha. Stump. So Stump was arrested and put to death on October 31st, 1589, by being strapped to a wooden wheel and having his flesh torn off by red-hot pincers. His limbs were then broken by the blunt side of an axe before he was beheaded and burnt on a pyre. Then his head was mounted on a pole with a wolf figure on the top as a warning to any other potential werewolves. Safe to say they did a good job making sure there wouldn't be too many copycats. Yeah, <laughs> he's definitely a good example. Yeah. So in the context of these stories, it's quite clear to see that the legends of werewolves got intrinsically tied together with religion in the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. and many stories tell of people who received some sort of wolf skin, balm, or salve, which, when rubbed on the body or worn as clothing, would change them into a wolf. And amidst the panics of witches and other monsters, werewolves were resurrected as another thing to be scared of in popular works like the witch hunting manuals like the Malleus Maleficarum. So for those of you that don't know the Malleus Maleficarum, or in English, which is the way cooler name, it's called the Hammer of Witches, was sort of a how-to guide for hunting and prosecuting witches that came out in the 15th century. It led to the tragic witch hunts in Europe as well as stuff like the Salem Witch Trials, but the book also mentions werewolves as another minion of Satan. Mm. So that kind of also helps to really yeah. get the fervor of werewolves back into the mainstream. Okay. In addition to being their own monster, animals in the Malleus were also seen as familiars or animal helpers of witches. So it could be even said that like maybe it's not a werewolf, but it's a wolf controlled by a person who is sentient enough to help them do whatever they need done. Okay. But even after these witch trials were over, the stories of werewolves didn't go away. In fact, the, possibly the most famous story of a man-eating wolf came later in the 18th century. In 1764, a southern rural province of France, known as Gévaudan, was terrorized by a creature that has been typically described as a large wolf-type beast. The first victim of the creature was a 14-year-old girl named Jeanne Bolette, who was watching her sheep. Her body was found by locals, and her death was recorded in the nearby parish registers. But it was just the beginning of a reign of terror that would last over three years. To set the pace for the story a bit, Jevoudan was a very mysterious place. According to historian J.M. Smith, quote, It had the reputation for being a remote, isolated backwater where the forces of nature had not been fully tamed, where the forests were indeed enchanted. It's fascinating, it's powerful, it's scary, it's sublime, end quote. So just kind of a very ripe area for some sort of monster tale yeah. to come out of. In addition to the geographical setting, the political setting was important as well. You see, 1764 was the year after France had just finished up with the Seven Years' War and had lost a lot of its land overseas to the British and the Prussians. So this left France in dire straits economically, and King Louis XV was looking to avoid any bad press by censoring political news. 
So once a story about a man-eating monster showed up, then the newspapers took advantage of that to help boost their numbers. Mm. So it's kind of the first, ins- one, of the, one of the earlier instances of like a sensational journalism. Yeah. After Jean Bolette, the attacks only ramped up in severity and in frequency. The victims were not simply killed by an animal for food, but were lacerated so violently that it could only be deduced that whatever was committing these attacks had a desire to inflict pain. As the number of victims grew, the monster moved west and established itself into the Jevoudan region, to which its name would forever be linked. The Beast of Jevoudan continued its hunts as 1764 turned to 1765, claiming double-digit victims within the span of months. Local aristocrats and officials began to truly take notice, with one man, the leader of the local infantry, organizing one of the first concerted efforts to find and kill the beast. Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel put together a group of volunteers, said to be up to 30,000 strong at one point, and arranged them in accordance with military models at the time. They left poison bait, they searched tens of thousands of square kilometers of forests, and even some of the soldiers dressed up as peasant women in hopes that the beast would be more drawn to them as their specific type of prey. <laughs> okay, that is actually hilarious. Dude. <laughs> it's so funny imagining that. Oh, man. Just a bunch of like 17, 18th century Frenchmen dressing as women. Oh, man. I hope they made like sound effects too or like talked funny. Oh, no. I hope they don't get attacked. It's like Bugs yeah, Bunny exactly. dressing as a woman. Exactly. Wow. Despite a large reward being offered, many of the hunters who came out to try and hunt the creature had little to no luck. One father and son duo, known as the Dane of Alls, traveled from Normandy to slay the monster. For a lot of those who signed on to the hunt, it was kind of a way, like for this father-son duo, it was a way to regain lost honor from having lost the Seven Years' War. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people were like, well, if we can hunt down this man-eating monster that's terrorizing our, our, mm-hmm. our country, maybe we can kind of do something good. John Charles, who is the father of this father-son duo, claimed to have killed around 1,200 wolves already in an effort to qualify him for the job. But at the end of the day, nobody even knew if the beast was really even a wolf. (laughs) As early reports claimed, the beast was much larger than a wolf and had a nose like a calf and longer hair than a wolf, similar to a hyena. Duhamel, who is the previously mentioned local infantry leader, described it as having a breast as wide as a horse a body as long as a leopard, and fur that was red with a black stripe, concluding that it had to be some sort of animal hybrid, with half of that hybrid being a male lion. For some reason. <laughs> so now, now we're just getting off the rails. People are throwing whatever they can at the wall. Uh-oh. Even more so, others describe the beast as having supernatural powers, being able to walk on its hind legs, repel bullets, and come back from the dead. <laughs> Those are good powers, actually, though. Yeah. Good pick. Being able to walk normally and repel bullets. Walk normally first thing. Well, I wish I could walk on two legs. <laughs> Crazy. Wouldn't that be nuts? He's so nice. But amidst uh. the hunts for the creature, the local farmers and peasants of Jevudan had to fend for themselves. The unfortunate victims who weren't able to escape were often dismembered or partly eaten with body parts found a good distance from their bodies. So very gruesome crime Oof. scenes for everyone finding them. Parents were hesitant to send their children out to work in the fields, but being that most of them were poor and illiterate, farming was kind of the only thing that they could do to survive, so the kids still had to go out. 
One of them, named Jacques Portefey, was out in January 1765 with a group of children herding cattle when the beast attacked them. One of the kids was taken by the beast, but instead of running away, Portefey and his other friends retaliated against the creature and drove it away with their pikes. As a reward for his bravery, Portefey was educated at the king's expense, and all of his friends were paid a reward. So wow. the king is actually starting to get involved. That's how yeah. like big this, this has guy, gotten. Yeah, that's insane. Later in the year, a 20-year-old woman named Marie-Jean Villet and her sister were attacked while crossing a bridge. But once again, Marie was able to spear the beast in the chest, and it escaped. And it continued on its hunting spree weeks later. This thing's just getting stabbed left and right, and it's fine. Yeah, that's why they all said, like, I think it could come back from the dead. Wow. Or I guess in, a, in French, I think it can come back from the dead. <laughs> That's exactly how I That said. was so bad. <laughs> that was rough in the best way, dude. At this point, most of the hunters had given up on their attempts to kill the beasts of Jevoudan. But since the king had gotten involved, he decided to send his personal gun bearer and bodyguard named Francois Antoine to go find the bloodthirsty monster and take it out. After no more success than those before him, Francois was nervous that he wouldn't be able to slay the beast before winter rolled around. So eager to finish his job, Antoine and a group of men, including his son, entered the woods in mid-September of 1765. They did indeed hunt and kill a huge gray wolf, and immediately it was said that it was the beast of Javudan. This was even verified by Marie-Jean, who was the one that had gotten attacked on the bridge. Mm. Thus, Francois Antoine became the hero who saved the town. The body of the wolf was sent to the court at Versailles, and Antoine received a reward from Louis. However, two months later, the attacks continued. Oof. By the third anniversary of the first attack, the number of fatalities was nearing 100 people. She's the the biggest serial killer of all time. Yeah, it's gotta be something weird. The king, believing the beast had been killed, didn't offer any more help. Being on their own again, the villagers began to organize their own hunts. One man, who was a local farmer named John Chastel, had been jailed by Francois after accidentally guiding his men into a bog. Wow. But He got put in prison for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. But when John Chastel got out of prison, he managed to track and kill the beast of Jevoudan on June 19th, 1767. After that day, no more attacks were reported, and John Chastel was honored in the town as the hero who truly saved the day. Mm. Are there any drawings of of the beasts? There are, like, artist representations of it. Uh, There's a lot of art, actually, of it. But all of them kind of just look like big wolves. Oh, okay. But with that all said, what was the beast? What do you think it was? I think it was a person. (laughs) Definitely. I think it was a massive serial killer running around. Even though they described it as a, a wolf creature every time? I think because so many people were dying in their town, I think they were just like, I don't know. They imagined or someone came up with an idea of like what it could be. Make it a little more like palatable yeah. than like a person. Yeah, I think so. Well, in other people's minds, Mark, this is where werewolves come in. Oh. Some have speculated that perhaps the beast was a true folklore monster, a werewolf waiting to whet its appetite on the women and children of Javudan. The men are just fine. <laughs> just, I'm chilling. I, it was weird. Like, it didn't really attack any guys. I don't oh, know. Man. But that does kind of lend to your serial yeah, killer perspective. Agree. Yeah, right. Because women and children are just easier targets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's the most... A- the werewolf is the most outlandish of the theories. Well... 
other than the theory that it was just a human man, which is highly improbable given that nobody described it as a man. Sure. Just because there was so many attacks, I think he just dressed up as one, as like or like as a wolf, as a cover, right? Oh I mean, no, no, he paid someone to, and then that's the guy who got stabbed. It's like the guy from the, it's the uh, that Bigfoot video, like the super famous Patterson yeah, Gimlin yep, film, where it yep, exactly. looks like a guy in a suit. Yeah, yep. that's just the guy in a wolf suit doing yep. that. Or it's like one of those horse costumes where it's two guys and one's the head and one's the butt. Yeah, <laughs> they have to run around together. But yeah, it's really probably improbable it's like not probable yeah. that it was a human just because of so many people okay. who had claimed to have seen it and said that it was some sort of like at least four-legged creature others have said that the creature was a dire wolf which is a long extinct variant of wolves that were much larger than the wolves we know today if you once again if you watch game of thrones yeah. you know the, the dire wolves they're just really big wolves mm-hmm. so someone thinks that uh, maybe there was just like one stray yeah. left out there somewhere yeah. Still others have suggested that it was a lion that escaped from somewhere, or it was an animal that John Chastel had actually trained himself to deflect from his other crimes that he had committed. Wow. So, I don't know. I don't know either. And that's kind of like where I lie on this, is I like the lion explanation, where I don't think it was a lion, but... There was a very weird phenomenon in this time. It was kind of the beginning of circus uh-huh. kind of acts with animals yeah. in France. They had a huge renaissance with that. I guess this is kind of the first instance of it, so not really a renaissance, but they had a bunch of exotic animals that were shipped into France. Sure. And a lot of people, like when they just didn't have anything to do with them anymore, they kind of just got loose yeah. and then they would let them go. So I could see it being one of those cases yeah, where like yeah. maybe they got a jaguar or they got like yeah. something like that and it just got loose and, the, and no one had ever seen it before. sure yeah so i don't know maybe it could be something like that yeah i i could see that being possible for sure and that thing would definitely be able to take out a lot of people over time oh yeah but the answer to the story is more likely ordinary than anything and the answer to the beast of javudan is likely the answer to most of the lore that surrounds the werewolf today Most likely, the beast was nothing more than a serious infestation of normal wolves. If wolves struggle to find food, sometimes they can act out aggressively against humans. According to a paper by Jean-Marc Morisot, in in France especially, there were centuries-long periods in which wolves were considered man's worst enemy, and loads of resources were dedicated to eradicating them. So, it's more than likely that it wasn't a single beast that was attacking it was just multiple that mm-hmm. kind of all either went rabid or just had predatory instincts yeah. until the 19th century france was one of the largest wild wolf populations and that was coupled with one of the highest rural population densities so just a lot of people not living in cities and a lot of wolves yeah Attacks by wolves over the period of roughly the 15th century until the 19th century showed that a little over half of the attacks were likely of a predatory nature versus a rabid one. Many of these wolves would target single people, but not always, and these attacks numbered in the thousands. Granted, that's spread over a long period of time, but still, nearly 5,000 wolf attacks in 500 years makes for a startlingly high average compared uh-huh. to like what we're used to. This means that, especially for countries with high populations of wolves, it would be a natural response to make them a candidate for fear-mongering. According to an interview with historian Daniel Ogden, who wrote a book about ancient werewolves, it makes a lot of sense for reasons more than just the frequency of attacks. In stories of werewolves, many times we think of them as transforming from human into a wolf. 
And one of the reasons that he believes this is the case is because wolves, to be simple about it, are roughly human-sized animals. It's easy to associate a human body taking the shape of something roughly the same size as it, Mm -hmm. instead of, like, say, a giant bear or something smaller than a human. Yeah. I mean, there are still stories of people turning into foxes or stuff like that, but wolves are just... It's easy to put it side by side. Yeah. Or brother bear. That's true. Yes. Or the Jungle Book, you know, you get all that stuff. And Tarzan, he's a gorilla, so. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, wolves are just kind of an easy analog to compare human nature to. Mm-hmm. Throughout history, people have looked for ways to explain human behavior. And one of the most stark examples of that is when a human gives in to their baser instincts and acts upon their savage impulses. For example, we discussed multiple stories in which a person was accused of lycanthropy in conjunction with their crimes as a serial killer or as a mass murderer. So to try and explain how someone could allow themselves to be so cruel, people looked for something to compare it to. This led to the wild world of animals and nature, where survival is paramount to compassion and savagery, and that's kind of an everyday occurrence. In a bid to understand the unbelievable acts of some human beings, comparing them to a wolf is easier than admitting that sometimes there are just human beings who are severely flawed creatures that can exhibit true evil. Yeah. But once again, speaking to something Daniel Ogden said, wolves are a perfect creature to use for this because, in a way, they exhibit both the structure and the wildness of humans. Wolves tend to stick to a pack structure in which there is a hierarchy and a system of order, but at the same time, there are wild animals who will attack and kill whatever they can to survive and assert dominance. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are very true of humans as well. So in other words, werewolves were an answer to misunderstood mental illness and innate cruelty that resides within people. Today, clinical lycanthropy is a legitimate medical condition. According to a scientific paper from the National Library of Medicine, clinical lycanthropy is a psychiatric syndrome in which a person has the delusional belief that they are turning into a wolf. It's a syndrome that finds itself settled between a neurological disorder and the result of an environmental, social, or cultural interaction. And it has been around technically for hundreds of years, because as I mentioned, back in the Middle Ages, they still kind of use that as an excuse for serial killers, things like that. But they didn't really have the term for it, and they didn't really do anything except kill yeah. the people. Mm-hmm. So, But this belief also has played a big part in cultures of certain places. For example, North, um, North American Native Americans had beliefs of certain people within the tribes that could take the form of certain animals. So if you couple that with their reverence of the wolf as a wise and respected hunter, and you kind of get the ideas that warriors who use the wolf could be better hunters Mm -hmm. you know this kind of becomes part of their folklore yeah similarly the berserker that we discussed earlier used animals to help whip themselves up and become more ferocious in battle so everyone just kind of uses whatever normalcy they have and turns it into something they can use to transform themselves into something different going back to misunderstood medical conditions another possibility for werewolf stories could be the onset of hypertrichosis do you know what that is, Mark? So we're like, your hair grows everywhere? It is. Yeah, so if you don't know, it's defined as the excessive hair growth anywhere on the body in either males or females. And people with hypertrichosis for years were paraded around as sideshow attractions at freak shows. Similar to, if you've ever heard of Jojo the dog-faced boy, he's mm-hmm. one of the most famous ones. But yeah, people just literally have hair all over their bodies. Mm-hmm. 
So if this condition was misunderstood, especially in highly superstitious cultural time periods, it doesn't take too many leaps to say that perhaps someone with hair all over it could be seen as marked by some evil force. Yep. Today, we obviously know the werewolf is portrayed in movies like Twilight or in shows like Teen Wolf, or if you're into the older movies like An American Werewolf in London. And in a lot of media, even dating back to the original Dracula, werewolves are tied together with vampires as well. And now we kind of have the underworld movies where it's vampires versus werewolves because they kind of share the common trait of animal transformations as well as the now they have the ability to turn others into beasts by biting them, as you mentioned mm-hmm. at the beginning. But as history has shown, that wasn't always the viewpoint of the werewolf. Sometimes they're just seen as much more human than anything. Even being able to peel back their wolf skin to show the human beneath. And before movies took the chance to make the full moon a reason for the transformation, it was a lot of the time something that you could kind of do at will. Now, it's not always true that you can do it at will. You know, like those guys who Mm -hmm. put the wolf skins on and couldn't transform back. But... In a lot of stories, all you have to do is use a wolf skin or a balm and become a wolf. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it isn't necessarily the same type of creature today that it is before. But nonetheless, it's fair to say that werewolves are still kind of terrifying. Dude, I just thought it's a great marketing scheme for like those balms that are supposed to help you like grow in your facial hair. (laughs) And and then it ends with become the wolf. Become the wolf. It's just it's a werewolf. A really burly beard. Instead of like the cavemen from the Geico commercials, <laughs> it's just a werewolf being for one of those things. Yep. For like, like, Nugenics or whatever. Yeah, it's something like men. that. Yeah. Oh, man. So, to give my final take on werewolves, a lot out of all of the cryptids and monsters and folklore, I think this one is probably a long shot. Many of the stories are allegory, as I mentioned, for human behavior and don't really have roots in any sort of real evidence, aside from the fact that people did die for being accused of being werewolves. There's not really any evidence that they were actually werewolves. But with that being said, there are stories that abound of giant black dogs and wolves who are extremely strong and impossible to kill. So perhaps there is some sort of paranormal phenomenon behind some of the stories. If even one of the stories of a human transforming into a wolf or a wolf that can walk like a human and act like a human are true, then who's to say that they don't still walk among us somewhere? The world is a strange place as it is, and people have always been filling it with stories to make it even more interesting. And I kind of think that that is the true magic behind the werewolf, mm-hmm. kind of making life more fun. I agree. That's, that's the fun of all the stories and all these creatures, for sure. Do you think that werewolves could exist, Mark? That they could, like as a as a concept, yeah. As like real things, do you think that they do? Could I exist? do. I think they actually do. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I just wanted to subvert expectations, but uh, I unfortunately not. But I do think it's one of the more. I think it's actually kind of a fun concept, and actually in a lot of literature, that like the fact that they aren't even always like bad or evil things. Yeah. It's just more like an affliction that they have. It's kind of interesting. Or the differentiating between some having consciousness as the wolf so that they can make reasonable decisions or those that are literally just a rabid beast like that just transformed. Ah, there's like no there's no single take. Right, on, like, exactly. I, I think that's the fun part too is like werewolves can be whatever you want them to be, I yeah. guess. And there there was like a lot of bad stuff that got associated with them too. Like I know in the in Nazi Germany, there was a a group of like SS soldiers who mm. called themselves werewolf packs and oh. stuff like that, and they were just extremely brutal. brutal. Yeah, so like it got tied to a lot of really bad things. Sure, and it also was another reason why like settlers in America used as reasons to go and like be 
really bad to the Native Americans oh, okay. and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff that gets associated with werewolves, and huh. I think that's kind of with anything. I yeah. mean, it's the same with witches. You just kind of target the people who are outcasts and use them as a social pariah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, and like you said, werewolves is a concept. They're definitely real now. Like, oh, yeah. There's no, there's no doubt, doubting that. Yeah. But no, I don't think there ever was such a thing for real, at least not as it like we think about it. But. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, like I said, though, like even if it, there's one story that's true, that's all you need. It's kind of the same thing with aliens. It's like if there's one thing that's true about like anything that people yeah. have said, who knows? I wonder if they, it'd be interesting if they ever find like um, some ancient like cave drawings or something of werewolves. That'd be kind of wild. Too. That, well, that's what's interesting too is like the ancient Egyptians like using them yeah. for like their iconographies and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got that yeah. from. Like. I don't know if it's just that people have always associated them with being scary or being more powerful. Ancient, like the ancient world is such a, is really trippy, dude. Like, like because they had so little as far as we view it as being advanced or technology and all that stuff. There, there, it just sounds like the world was wild. Like, people yeah. would come up with all sorts of concepts, or everyone had like it, it was much more spiritual. Oh, like, yeah. every, everything because it was just like you, nature, survival. Everything was a little more out of body, I feel like, the things they'd come up with. I also think their imaginations, because they weren't so much, they were more spiritual than scientifical, the concepts they'd come up with were way more wild oh, and yeah. interesting than I feel like today. Definitely. Because now we're so, con- like, is it, could that really happen? Like, like, now we're so literal, or is they before? Just, I don't know. Just well, they- like I've I've talked about it before, how like we as human beings just like hate chaos. We don't like yeah, things not true. being ordered. That's true. So f- trying to find any way you can to explain what's going on, like yeah. you're gonna use whatever normalcy you can find in mm-hmm. it. So yeah, it's a very interesting trait that all humans had. It's just interesting, like you said, to see how it's transitioned yeah. from what we used to have. And then the last thing I would say about it is because you know even in like the 15th century or before that. Um, We'd moved around a little bit, but people were still kind of open to like these. Like, this isn't the only story we've talked about, like of something supernatural or something. Like, people were just kind of open back then to the idea of things happening. And my thought is, like, how often were people taken advantage of where it was just like a really bad individual or group that could play it off because they could like hype people up on this idea of something supernatural or a beast like doing these things when really it was just normal people oh yeah like effing things up right whereas like today like you just you just can't get away with stuff like that today you know what i mean yeah so i wonder when that cutoff happened where people ended up being like stopped believing like more crazy it is it is kind of insane to me too that we as humans would let we'd rather believe that it's a giant wolf creature than just like a person committing those acts yeah you're right you're right we want just because we don't want to see ourselves as the beast yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's it is interesting to me how we like circumvent it by making up something even scarier yeah in my opinion it's true so yeah it's i i I love hearing about how all this comes about because like mm-hmm. even with vampires and stuff like you get all the stories of people who are coming out of graves alive and stuff like that. It definitely is interesting how alive these types of stories though do make our wor- world fear or feel sorry so because if we didn't have any of this like it's kind of bland like yeah. that there isn't anything like crazier out there. I mean there are obviously weird things about the world and there's even like sometimes I see like an animal or like a weird insect, and I'm like, wait, that's like that's real. Yeah. So I guess part of it is kind of being closed minded to what is all in the world, 
But it's part of the beauty of like these ancient stories is people trying to spice things up. Oh, like, yeah. oh, oh it's yeah. not just us, baby. <laughs> it's also the werewolves. It's like, that's kind of fun. I just ran across an, uh, an Instagram account. I don't remember what it's called, but it's just a dude who like walks around the Florida Everglades barefoot mm-hmm. and just like goes and videotapes crocodiles and alligators yeah. and stuff. And he calls them uh, swamp puppies. Wow. And he just like picks up every snake he finds. He just goes, yoink. It's so funny. <laughs> what a way to live your life. But I'm life. like, dude, that dude is like, who's he, got, he's human being 2.0. Dude, who's got the stones for I know. that? Like is, he literally is walking in a swamp next to the, like a alligator in the water, just barefoot doing his thing. I'm like, you're, you are what people are afraid of. <laughs> Holy cow. That is insane. Yeah. So that is the, uh, a brief history of werewolves. If you want to, that uh, book of werewolves is available online. It is like a public domain book now. So you can find that. And there's other books. There's another one written by, I'm going to blank on his name now, but that guy was kind of a weird dude in general. And I guess he was like kind of a pedophile oh boy. so i didn't i didn't read that one but it's also uh, from like the 1800s i think uh, so yeah, there's some, some yeah there is some really cool literature online if you want to go find it that is available just to read um it was funny i went on to google and search for like good werewolf history books and i got redirected to the werewolf subreddit because uh-huh. someone asked that question in there i'm like oh nice maybe i'll go in here and see if there's any other good stuff i can learn from this subreddit and then the first other post I saw was like, is it bad that I'm getting attracted to werewolves? And I was like, okay, maybe not. All right, I, we're I got, it. got we're... what I needed and I'm out of here. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, there are people today who still subscribe to the fact that saying like, I'm a werewolf, like mm. that, like I said, clinical lycanthropy, but there's other people who just like to role play as them. I mean, yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, it's the same with vampires. There's people today that call themselves vampires still. And mm. I... There's a an unexplained episode, which is like that new show with William Shatner. Okay, and he, they do an episode on vampires and werewolves and talk about like modern day people that do it. So huh. it, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Yeah, can't say that I'm gonna get into it. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe on Halloween to each their own. I yeah, guess. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's our first foray into the uh, world of the spooky for the month of October because we get five whole episodes this month. It's like, like one of the first times in a, a long That's time, awesome. I think, that this has happened. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll be doing five episodes this month on spooky stuff. I hope you enjoyed this first one. Once again, if you have stories that you want to submit for our spooky listener episode, even if you like write your own story, like you write your own creepypasta or whatever, and you want to submit that, feel free to do that. Otherwise, if you have real life horror stories that you want to submit, you can send those in. Uh, I know Mark's brother has sent one in the years past. Peter, who Mm -hmm. we've had on the show, has sent one in. Uh, So yeah, if you guys want to send in your own, you can email them to us at gemsofhistory.com podcast at gmail.com we prefer you send them there if you do want to we are available on social media you can find us on x uh instagram youtube we don't really use the youtube a ton or the tiktok but we do have those as well uh so you can kind of find us everywhere and then just search for the show and if you want to message us there that's also available but if we do prefer the email so if you are going to send us stories please do it there uh mark would you like to plug anything no, I'm just happy to be here, dude. This is so fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we might have you back next week because I think Evan's going to be out of town. So oh, we're going okay. to need to do back-to-back spooky topic weeks. But yeah. I ain't scared. <laughs> I ain't scared of no ghosts. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that is all we got for you guys this week. Thank you for joining us. We love you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for supporting. Oh, 
go support us on Patreon if you want to support us monetarily. If you think we deserve some money for what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash gems of history podcast and sign up there or just download the app, search for the show on there. You should be able to find it. But that I think is the last thing I have. Evan usually does the plugs. I'm not oh, used to sure. this anymore. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Thank you. Stay polished. <laughs>